0: Hello and welcome to the One 106 of a Second Photography Podcast. Today I'm going to talk about my top five value for money purchases. What I mean by this is things that have given me best return on investment. It's very subjective this. I've obviously bought lots of things for photography, um, lots of things for podcasting and lots of things for making videos. Some of those have been amazing. They've saved me loads of time and in the end they've sort of paid for themselves in the time and money they've saved me. Other things have been very good or other things have been a bit rubbish and they haven't really saved me money, saved me time, they haven't been used that much. That's always going to happen with something like photography. You're always going to buy things that you don't really need, you're always going to buy things that you don't really use but you're also going to buy things that you use all the time You're going to buy things that last forever. You're going to buy things that you always take with you. I'm looking to take those purchases I've made that have given me a really good return. And I'm going to do these in no particular order. If I did rank them and do them in order, I would have to work out a value for how much return they've given me. Now, some have given me a financial return and some have given me a time return. So it's actually very difficult to then rank them. If they save me lots and lots of time, well they're worth their weight in gold. But assigning a monetary value to that or converting a monetary value into a time value is very difficult. So they're going to be in no particular order. They're actually going to be in the order I thought of them. At number five, although not in a ranking, is Adobe Lightroom. And this is the standalone version. The pay once keep forever version, not the subscription model. I started with Lightroom 4, I upgraded to Lightroom 5, and I upgraded to Lightroom 6. So I probably bought three versions of Lightroom at varying prices because of upgrades and I've used Lightroom for years now and what Lightroom enables me to do is shoot my photos in raw, catalogue them and cataloguing is a really useful feature, rating them, comparing one to the other, storing them, categorising and counting them is very useful. I can break my pictures down and I can look at how many pictures I took with a particular camera, how many pictures I took with that camera with a certain lens, and I can look at all that that data. I can then do filtering. I can get to the pictures I want really quickly. And if they were just on my hard disk, I couldn't do that. I was just using a a, a simple raw converter, like Adobe Camera Raw or one provided by a manufacturer. I couldn't really do that. So cataloging is great. Finding your images is great. Comparing one image to the other is fantastic. But really why you buy Lightroom is to edit the images. So you can do an awful lot with a raw image. You can do quite a lot with a JPEG. But you like most people, I want to do it with a raw image. I get more control, more flexibility. Once i am importing my images, get rid of the ones I don't want. And then I can look through them and I can see which ones I like. Actually, as soon as I see one I like, I start to edit it. I can apply a, a lens profile which is really good because it sort of straightens out the picture. Sometimes I won't want to do that but I can apply a camera profile, very useful. I can adjust the brightness, I can adjust the shadows and I can get the image that I saw in my mind. So if I've underexposed the image I can get a correct exposure. If I've overexposed I can save it actually. You can save an overexposed or an underexposed image in Lightroom if you shoot with RAW. You can with JPEG but it's a little harder and you're you're a bit more constrained with jpeg i can adjust the colors i can adjust the white balance i'm not telling you anything new about a raw converter most people know these things what's good about lightroom is you've got gradients radial filters and brushes so you can apply these things globally you can apply adjustments globally or you can apply them selectively which is very good so there are presets for enhancing irises which you can do with a brush, or whitening teeth, or you can do a gradient. You can make one side darker than the other, but it's not obvious because it's on a gradient. You can do split toning, where you put a tone in a shadow or highlights, and and that's really good. You can do curve adjustments, and you can do it by different colours. The later versions of Lightroom, which I think is really good, have clone healing, so you can get rid of that Odd person or that blemish in the background, and of course you can export your image to Photoshop to do more editing, and then when you save it in Photoshop, the adjustments get pulled back into Lightroom. So it is a fantastic piece of software. I don't have the one with D haze. I don't know if that's any good. And the other thing I like about Lightroom is clarity, which is uh, a bit of a people have a Marmite relationship with it. For those non UK listeners, Marmite. People love it or hate it. Some people love clarity. Some people don't. I quite like putting my images into black and white, marking up the clarity. That looks. I, I like that look. You can also do HSL, hue, saturation, levels. I think you can press a button and it goes into black and white. But you can adjust how those colours look in black and white. What what an odd thing to say. Adjust how those colours look in black and white. You can adjust the saturation so it will do it automatically and you can click auto or you can tweak things so you can make a blue look darker and by darker i mean more black rather than blue because it's obviously black and white or you can make it lighter so you can actually tweak things in a color image you can tweak in lightroom colors of something how saturated they are hsl is really good and you've also got really quite powerful noise reduction as well so noise reduction will allow you to just Get rid of some noise. You can't go overboard with noise reduction, but you can get rid of some noise and you can make a noisy image look clean. Now I've used other raw converters. The other one is oh what is it called? DXO Photolab is what it's called. I think I had an older version, I don't think it's called Photolab, it's called something else. I can't remember. That doesn't have such good cataloguing as Lightroom. I don't think it had the Photoshop integration, the one I used. It did have a really good noise engine though. when you compare raw editors, you do get slightly different looks between raw editors. They'll take a red to be slight you know a slightly different hue. I did find the picture slightly more pleasing for certain pictures, but basically nothing beats Lightroom. And so Lightroom gets used for every photo shoot I do. All photos I do end up going in Lightroom. and for that reason, I get a really good value out of it. It saved lots of images. It means I don't have to spend so much time in Photoshop because I can do quite a lot of the editing in Lightroom. Sometimes I can do all the editing in Lightroom and I'm happy with it. So Lightroom has saved me loads of time, loads of effort. It's a very stable program. It never crashes. It's just really good. But most people would agree with me on that, that Lightroom is amazing. So my next one, focusing on software again, is a little piece of software called jpeg mini and jpeg mini i think cost me 12 pounds so jpeg mini basically takes a jpeg and makes it smaller and you might think oh so what who cares but it's really really useful and it's useful for several reasons so if you want to do image resizing you can do it in jpeg mini i would tend to do it in lightroom actually funnily enough because i can export at various settings and i can export at various sizes and i do do that with lightroom so i export at 900 pixels wide for certain applications and Lightroom does that really well so I'll take I'll take my 24 megapixel image and it'll export it at 900 pixels wide but then what I can go and do is I can drop that JPEG into JPEG mini because it has a simple interface all you do is drag photos or folders in and it works and what it does is it just makes the JPEG smaller I don't know how it does that but those JPEGs that are then smaller can still be read universally they can be read on a tv on a computer on a mac you know they can be read anywhere on an iphone it doesn't mean you can't read them but it does compress them so they're compressed further and they're generally compressed between three or four times their original size so they're hugely compressed but they're still readable there's no loss of performance there's no loss of universal readability so you might be thinking well so what who cares Well, it means JPEG stored on my computer take up less space. So I've actually saved, I think, 15 gigabytes of storage space just by using JPEG Mini because it keeps a little counter going. And that also means when I upload photos to websites, to printing sites, or I'm sending people photos, it's not such a burden on me. It doesn't take so long. and It doesn't clog up my Dropbox and various other things because they're an awful lot smaller. So it means I can send images quicker. I can even send them by email because they're small and they're useful. Now JPEG mini comes in two sort of varieties the consumer version which is just a program or you can get a Lightroom plugin and that's the pro version. Obviously the Lightroom plugin costs more but I didn't see the point buying the Lightroom plugin because you export your photos from Lightroom and if you have the plugin you can choose to export them with JPEG mini and they get compressed or you can just drag them in straight after you've exported them and not pay for the pro package so I've just got the basic package but even 12 gigabytes of memory it sort of paid for itself and it will continue to pay for itself so 12 gigabytes on my hard disk is is actually quite a lot because I've only got six gigs left on my main drive and I actually can't do a windows update at the moment until I clear some space and yeah space is quite important so it saves me space it saves me time fantastic so the next thing on my list is the Canon 5D and I bought this used for around 300 pounds oh, or many years ago and I've used it on pretty much every shoot I've done since, apart from if I need to do some video. So if it's a hybrid shoot, going to use my 550d or my 200d which i recently invested in so i've been using the canon 5d for a very long time it's a great camera it's a full frame camera it's a tough camera i felt quite limited in what i could do with the 550d yes it was a dslr but it it was terrible in low light didn't have a very good high iso performance so great in full full sunlight it was great if using flash but anything a bit murky anything inside the images just look murky so i splashed out around 300 pounds on a Canon 5D, still using it. It got damaged quite recently, which was in a previous podcast. It's been really good. I mean, there's not much more to say. I suppose I like using lenses on a full frame body rather than a crop. Crops have their advantages, but pairing it with a really nice, fast prime like my Sigma 50 millimeter, get amazing images. And actually, you can't tell that it's an old camera because the images and the way they look are really good. Raw files are small. I'm quite happy with 12 megapixels. And that has just been such good value for money it has meant that my 550d has sort of been relegated and has really become a backup camera Because if I go out, if it's street photography, I'm going to take a compact. If it is anything else, it's the Canon 5D with with various lenses. Always gets used, always gets considered. Attached to my Canon 5D are Peak Design camera strap. I don't know what to call these. I bought the Peak Design camera strap. And what sets it apart is that you get little, I'm going to call them hooks. So you loop them round and you fit them on your camera. You put two on on each side of the camera and your strap can attach to these. So that means you can quickly take the strap off the camera, say for when you're putting it down on a tripod, and you can use the same strap for multiple cameras. So i got four of these little attachers with the camera strap. So loads of my cameras have these peak design little clips on. I don't really like a camera around my neck, but particularly a heavy one like the Canon 5D or any DSLR. I like it around my hip particularly when it's got a big lens on. So the Peak Design strap is long enough for a camera to sort of sit on your hip, which I find the most comfortable. So it means I only need one strap and I can put it on many cameras and I can take it on and off as I need to. And it folds up really small. It's not a particularly big strap, but it it does the job. Some time ago before this, I did get the Black Rapid strap and that is a similar thing, but it's sort of more, it's over-engineered basically. But that attaches through the tripod mount and I put it on my 5D and it fell off and it cracked the d so i never never particularly had much faith in it after that and i've always preferred the peak design camera strap because i know when you put them in it clicks into place you know it's not going to fall off that was about 30 pounds and because i use it on all my cameras it's represented good value for money now probably the number one thing that has paid for itself over and over again and put me sort of into profit with this is rechargeable batteries some time ago i decided I would get a lot of rechargeable batteries and actually we wouldn't have any any standard batteries in the house. Why have disposable batteries when you can have rechargeable ones? So slowly disposable ones got phased out and now even in my household, remote controls and things like that have rechargeable batteries in. AA's are really good. I've got some AAA's but they don't hold the charge as well. And they seem to um, deplete faster than double A's so I bought a series of chargers I've invested quite heavily in best of both world batteries so the problem with the chargeable batteries not so much now is that they you charge them up and then over time they drain whereas an alkaline battery or a disposable battery will always keep its charge if you're not using it whereas a rechargeable can lose it over time so I invest in these sort of best of both world ones they come with charge in and they're very good at holding their charge yet you can recharge them they're a little bit more most of my rechargeable batteries are rated for over 2000 milliampere hours that's fine that's quite high capacity so i use rechargeable batteries quite a lot for photography with leds and and all the time with flash so if i was buying duracells or really expensive batteries, I would deplete them in in a shoot because flash really drains rechargeable batteries. I save loads of money by using rechargeable ones and actually I take, probably take 12 AA batteries on a shoot for one flash and I take that because I've got four in the flash, I've got four as a backup and four as a second backup and that second backup also covers flash triggers as well. I always use ones that use double a and that is the versatility of double a you they're in everything probably got in excess of 20 rechargeable batteries available and they are in lots of devices around my household and as soon as they run out we just recharge them and it doesn't take long half an hour 40 minutes probably the smallest item has saved me the most money and those smallest items are rechargeable batteries so again in terms of time effort and money i haven't ranked them But I know in terms of money, the rechargeable batteries have saved me the most money and have been the biggest return on investment. So this has been a really interesting episode. It's been a very thought provoking episode for me because it's my best value purchases. Let me know if you like me to do an episode on my worst value purchases or gear I've never used. If there's an appetite for that, I'll certainly do it. Thank you very much. Don't forget to check the show out on Spotify. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. That would really help me. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter. And don't forget, if you want to support the show, you can via Patreon at patreon.com 160SPP. Thank you and goodbye.